Introducing Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. This podcast is for parents who long to be meaningfully connected to themselves and their children, even as the demands of modern life are accelerated. Enjoy a collection of supportive conversations, meditations, and nuggets of practical wisdom to help you embrace the parenting journey as your greatest potential for personal growth. Welcome to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. I am here with my friend and colleague today, Amy Saltzman, and we have been trying to connect and get together or talk or catch up for a long time. And so we had this wonderful excuse to, uh, to do that today and share it with all of you on the podcast. And we are going to be talking about bringing mindfulness into the sports world with youth and working. Amy works with coaches and parents and, and children. So I'm going to let her tell a little bit more about herself and then we'll start the conversation. Okay, so thanks so much for having me, and it's great to be able to connect with you and with your listeners. And um, kind of my credentials are, I'm a holistic physician, and I have a small holistic medicine practice in Menlo Park where I see um, people of all ages and do some individual mindfulness coaching with them So as well. So holistic physician, mindfulness coach, parent, athlete, scientist, and occasional poet. Ah, I didn't know you were a poet. Sometimes. <laughs> That's wonderful. And so I'd love for you to share with our listeners your, your inspiration around getting into this world of mindfulness in athletics. Well, I think the honest truth is that my, um, I was a gymnast as a kid and, um, long before I ever knew the word mindfulness or transformational coaching, um, that was my first mindfulness practice. Like as a gymnast, you can't really afford to be, uh, thinking about other things when you're on the balance beam that doesn't work out so well. Mm. Um, and it was a domain of, you know, focus and challenge. And uh, I went through kind of all the things that athletes go through in terms of struggles and successes and injuries. Um, and that's been a large part of my life. And then uh, so I walked on as a gymnast at Stanford back in the day where Stanford was not quite as accomplished as they are now as a gymnastics team. <laughs> and then um, in my sophomore year, I stopped competing in gymnastics, partly due to fear, honestly. Uh, I'd had some significant injuries. I'd had a couple of friends who'd had very serious injuries. Um, and I started racing my bike, not necessarily a much safer way to go. Um, and, you know, somewhere in the middle of medical school, I stopped really racing my bike because I didn't have time for that and um, have been riding and running and have a yoga practice and mindfully learn to snowboard when I was 40. Um, but 
this place of mindfulness and sports is like it has a to me it has an inherent kind of natural connection and um a lot of people a lot of kids are struggling uh a lot of athletes struggle in sports and um are always comparing and always thinking about winning or losing and um you know suffering in certain ways and there's ways where we can use sports to really cultivate um, ways of being that are beneficial while we're um, training and competing, but also really develop skills that are lifelong skills uh, that often these days are getting neglected in, um, in our sports culture. Mm, yeah, you know, I often, I have a, a, a son who's almost 14 who plays baseball and my husband coached for many years <clears throat> and we, we always say as a family, you know, everything you need to learn about life, <laughs> you learn on the baseball field and with your team, there's so much life learning. Um, I wonder if you can speak to that a bit. Yeah, so... Um... It is like sports is definitely one place that's a like a microcosm of life. And so we do, we get to learn um, how to, how do we face challenges, being cut, having our best friend called up when we're not called up. Mm. Um, how do we work with injuries? How do we work with um, problems with, between teammates or settle a difference with a coach? How do we work with those things? And those are all the skills we need when we're dating and married and we're out in the work world as the boss or the employee. These are still all the skills that we need. And so if it's done intentionally and skillfully, you know, our 10-year-olds and our 14-year-olds can be learning these skills through sports. Yeah. Yeah. And how would you speak to, um, you know, what you've seen work or how you've seen mindfulness woven into sports? You know, is it that, you know, I, I've taught my son's, uh, team for a few years and, you know, kind of as the parent, you know, kind of got to know what was the the easiest places for me to kind of interject myself, you know, at batting practice, I would often come and work with them one-on-one. And um, so I'm wondering what you've seen work, like do the coaches need to be trained? Is it okay? Is it that the kids are learning with their parents? Um, and And I'm guessing all of those things could be true, but I'm curious what you've seen work in teams. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's, there's lots of options. And, um, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you have these where they're reinforcing each other. But I definitely have athletes that I work with individually. Mm. Um, and depending on the age, right, they either come with their parents so that then the parents supporting them and doing the practice at home, or if they're slightly older, then they come and, um, do the practices at home on their own and then kind of report back. Um, ideally it would be done with a team. And like, if we were talking about a long-term um, plan, then yes, more coaches would be trained to a coach mindfully so that they're not yelling at kids and blowing their stack and, but be then support the kids themselves 
in developing their own mindful habits. Mm. And I'm sure you know, but your listeners may not know, now many, many teams and famous athletes are using mindfulness. So the Seattle Seahawks, the Golden State Warriors, the Chicago Cubs. So it is being done at a team level. And, you know, ideally it would be something that would be built into um, coaching training and then built into the team system so that it just becomes part of the team. But I think we've got a ways to go between here and there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I know you have a new book coming out. Um, I'm not sure when it's coming out. It's getting finished up. It needs to be finished by May. Right. <laughs> I remember hearing correctly. So the, so the, the pre-copy edit goes to the publisher May 15th and the book will actually be published in February of 2018. So there's a little gap in between there. Yeah. Could you share the title with us and just that, you know, the major focus of the book? Yeah. So the, the title was actually just decided yesterday after um, several, several rounds of debate. A Still Quiet Place for Athletes and the subtitle is Mindfulness Skills for Achieving Peak Performance and Finding Flow in Sports and in Life. So that's a mouthful, but I think a, a still quiet place for athletes is enough to remember. Yes. Yeah. It's beautiful. And is there, um, can you give us an idea of what we can expect to see in the book? Yes. Um, I hope so since it's due May 15th. Yeah. Um, so the, the first half of the book is really um, basic mindfulness practices. So learning to rest in stillness, learning to... Um, observe our thoughts without believing them or taking them personally, um, learning to befriend our feelings um, so that if you're feeling anxious before a competition or you're feeling upset um, because something didn't go so well, to be able to what I like to say is have our feelings without our feelings having us. So knowing what we're feeling, being aware of our feelings, but not being consumed by our feelings and acting out or letting our feelings run our lives, being in the body, which is particularly important for athletes because um, when we're really mindfully in our bodies, we can get two types of feedback. One is feedback about just, you know, maybe changing our weight or our speed or our position to be more effective. Mm. So, um, adjusting our, getting feedback from our body so that we can enhance our performance. That's one element. And then the second element is really attending to our body so that we can hear our body's signals about injury and illness and overuse and overtraining so that we have more of a possibility of avoiding those things so that we can train and compete kind of at our maximum, mm. but really being able to honor our bodies and know when is it a time to rest? When is it a time to back off? Beautiful. It sounds like it'll be a great resource. And who's it? It's written for teachers and therapists and coaches. It's really written primarily to athletes and then to coaches and then parents. So, but the main focus is the athletes. And what I was going to say one other thing. So that 
that's the first half of the book. And then the second half of the book, or at least the parts for athletes have to deal with facing challenges. How do we work with mistakes, Mm. self-compassion, being a team, being a teammate. And even for athletes who participate in individual sports, there is a team element to that. And then I have a last couple chapters that are called Habits of Excellence and Love of the Game, Um, but it's really cultivating other habits of excellence, both in sports and in life that are, that will support us in performing at our best in both domains. Mm, Beautiful. I'd love, I wonder if you have any, any personal stories, maybe from um, working with a client or working with um, one of your children around athletics and yeah, I have a couple. The one that um, comes to mind is uh, I work with a national level diver and um, she's a tween. So her um, mom will often send me updates from uh, meets, like just a little email about how the meet has gone. And so I have two stories. Um, And I think I'll choose this one first. So um, she was at a meet. She was in the middle of the meet. And she got news, actually, that her um, grandfather had passed away. And um, she was upset. And she decided to do rest practice, which is a practice that's available on my Teens DD. So she decided to do rest practice um, and just kind of, again, be with her feelings, let her feelings be there without um, needing to do anything about them, change them, fix them. And then she went out and competed really well. And the note from the mom described all of this, but then also said, um, you know, really you've taught her skills um, not only for competition, but for life. And that's really my intention with the book is, yes, to teach skills, um, to allow you to perform at your best and to find flow in sports. But equally important to me is how do we use these skills in life? Because every athlete uh, eventually is not going to be compete, you know, competing at a high level. They may continue to be a rec- recreational athlete, but they're not always going to compete uh, you know, at the level that they did when they were 20 or 30. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, um, what do you, um, experience when talking to parents around this issue? Cause I know, I know from sitting in the sidelines of some of my son's, uh, sporting, um, programs, the parents can be pretty intense. Yeah. So it's funny that you mentioned that because the very end of the book, there's a chapter for parents and a chapter for coaches and, um, the chapter for parents really walks them through a how to be mindful of when you are as a parent. And I've certainly been there myself over attached to the outcome of your child's sports performance and like how to f- sense that by noticing um, what's happening in your body and your mind and your heart. It walks parents through uh, the kind of harsh realities of um just the statistics about 
who will and won't get a scholarship, you know, which is in, in this country, the holy grail of uh, sports is a college scholarship. And it gives parents a couple practices to do to kind of counterbalance our tendencies to get over-involved and over-focused on results and to be uh, coaching from the sidelines and harassing our kids when they get in the car. Um, you know, there's just some really simple practices uh, that parents can use. And part of engaging in those practices, right, is like you read the, the chapter, you commit to those as a parent, and then you watch your urge to do your old habitual behaviors. And it's like, oh, wow. You know, I keep, want, I keep blurting out those things that I promised that I wouldn't or whatever. <laughs> but bringing, bringing some awareness to our behavior as parents and our intentions as parents um, can be really helpful. And another part of that chapter actually is um, questions for the parents about um, what they want for their child out of sports and then parallel questions um, for the child. And then one of the things, one of the exercises is to look and see where those are, where there are discrepancies between the two. Um, and in at the end of that, it's really to talk to your child and listen to your child about what is most supportive and what feels like pressure to your child. Because the data um, in terms of sports research is that uh, children experience things that parents intend to be as supportive as pressure. And the more pressure a child feels, the less likely he is to enjoy a sport, and then the more likely he is to drop out. Interesting. And so um, as parents, we think we're being supportive, but on the, on the receiving end, it's felt as pressure. Wow. And do you think, is that research the same for like coaches or parents? Would you say, I wonder, or is that research done around, around the parenting relationship? It's interesting because I focused on the, um, on the, on the research for the, for that piece on the parenting piece. Mm. And I haven't looked up for coaches, but I think the part of the issue is the relationship is different. And mm. certainly there's data about coaching styles and being positive and, you know, not kind of the old school yelling at the kids and being negative and picking them apart for coaches. But because the coach is the coach and part of their job is to coach. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. I think kids, they don't have the same expectations and there is, it is a, it's a very different role. Mm. And you know, the, the thing is with, with a child and a parent kids, what kids are looking for from their parents is unconditional love. And what they're looking for from their coaches are, coaching and respect and support but it's not the same relationship and the parents need to remember that they have a unique role they're not the coach they're not the sports psychologist they're not the player they're not the player they used to be or wish they were mm -hmm. they're the parent 
And so their job is to be loving. Um, and the coach's job is slightly different. So. Mm. Yeah. And it seems, yeah, you can kind of really get that sense of kind of that projection. I think parents often put on to their children, like they're reliving their own sports career or lack of (laughs) sports career. (laughs) Um, and really wanting, you know, to kind of live again, you know, live vicariously through their children. Yep. Yeah, it's tough. And there are ways um, to teach parents to, to act like that particular feeling, which I've certainly felt. Mm-hmm. It has a particular energy and it has a feeling in the body. Like for me, it's kind of an an excitement, but like with some nervous desperation in there, it has a leaning forward kind of feeling. It has busy, my mind is really busy. And it's when I can recognize that, then I can notice, uh, okay, I'm getting over-involved and I'm going to stop and take a step back. Yeah. Yeah. I find no matter how centered and grounded and mindful I am, um, particularly when my son's pitching, like my, my, chest, you know, my heart is in my throat. And, and I just laugh at myself, like, what is this? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just so nervous for him. I'm so wanting him to do well. And my heart's beating. And, um, you know, I, it's happened so many times over and over. And I keep thinking the next time I'm going to take some really good breaths and, and, <laughs> and that's not going to happen, but it happens again and again. So I'm trying yeah, to, learn but, to it's, enjoy but it. it's not like, it's not like that needs to go away any yeah. more than an athlete's nervousness before an event needs to go away. Yeah, It's point. how do we meet that yes. with kindness and curiosity and compassion and you're aware of it, right? So at least you're not like probably, you can tell me otherwise, (laughs) but you're probably not like screaming directions at him, right? You're sitting there and you're breathing and you're watching your heart beat fast and you're got your fingers crossed, but you're not, you're not spewing that out into your general environment. No. And that's like, sometimes as parents, that's as good as it gets. Like, I don't know that the feeling's going to go away, but at least we can not be dumping it on our kids or on our kids' teammates or on, you know, the other parents that are sitting in the stands with us. We can just let it come and go probably when he gets off the mound. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think that's great for parents to hear, you know, that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily go away. Um, You just meet it differently. You know, I try to meet it with a little giggle, you know, like laughing at myself a little bit. There it is again. There it is again. Like you're a mess. He's he's pitching. (laughs) Yeah. And try to let it be fun. I can beat myself up over it um, sometimes. So I have to be careful with that. I have to be careful with that. What are some other things that um, you might suggest parents do if they are you know, involved either watching their kids practice or watching a game and they're really kind of noticing that intensity building and they're either angry or really upset or, or worried. Um, what are some of the, what's a little life yeah. hack you could offer? So I have, I have a couple things. First, I'm actually going to go to a practice that um, really applies to all of us as human beings. So the athlete can use it. The parent can use it. The coach can use it. Um, which is this thing of befriending our feelings. So just, 
breathing, knowing, like you said, with your example, that like this is a moment of intensity, feeling the feeling in the body, not needing to change it, not needing to fix it, not needing to make it go away, just letting it be there. Um, And so that can be used, like I said, by everyone involved, the athlete, the parent, and the coach. And over time, right, we develop a capacity to be with that kind of emotional intensity with more ease. And as you were saying, having a giggle, more humor. Mm. Um, And so that in and of itself is a really powerful practice. And then for parents, um, two of my favorite practices, one sadly came from... uh, coach a man that I coached with like under eight AYSO soccer and his rule for coaching was only say positive things that happened in the past and the reason he developed that rule is because he had had an older daughter who was very talented and he had really pressured her and he was committed to not repeating that mistake uh, with his younger daughter who um my daughter played with. Uh, And, um, you know, it's not maybe the greatest rule for a coach at a higher level, but for parents, I think it's a really pretty consistent rule because what it does is it has, it keeps us from yelling directions and telling our kids what to do. And that way, first of all, kids can start to figure out what they need to do, which is the natural way to learn. And second of all, if their coach is saying something, they can actually hear their coach um, if we're not yelling directions. Um, So that's a good one. And the other one is, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's a website and there's a whole kind of movement around this phrase, I love to watch you play. Mm. And... um, you know, some people say that that's like the only thing you should ever say to your kid when they get in the car. Um, I think if we only say that every single time, it probably starts to sound a little empty. So the way I tweak that a little bit is to be super specific. So I loved how um, you came back after that mistake, or I love how you uh, really stood up to that tough player, or but really being. Um, you know, I love how you hustled after you didn't make your catch. Um, really being specific, but really looking for the positives. Uh, and so I think though, like those, committing to those two practices and then noticing what happens when you commit to those two practices um, can be very helpful. Mm, that's beautiful. I love to watch you play. Um, I wonder, what do you think about um, asking a child, you know, let's say it's after the game and, um, you know, you're in the car and you may say like, what was, how was it for you? Like, how was this experience of this game for you? Yeah. And I think, I think there's two ways to approach that. And part of it is you, you know, your child best. Yeah. So getting a read of your child and where they are, and maybe you want to wait till they've a had something to eat. Yes. maybe even, you know, showered and whatever. Um, And it also, I think, depends a little bit on the level of intensity of the, of the moment. So 
I was just reading a blog post yesterday from the Washington Post um, where it was about um, a man was talking to a woman. They were at the high school championship for their region um, soccer game. And then whoever won that game was going to go on to play in the state finals. Um, And the team lost. And the man looked at the woman and he said to her, don't speak. And the woman said, but, you know, I want to console and I want to, and he said, no, just don't like, don't say anything. Mm. And it's interesting because without overgeneralizing and getting into kind of gender issues, what the woman realized later was um, what he really meant was listen first. Yeah. And so sometimes when we wait, we get to hear where our kids are. And we also don't give things for our kids to push back against. So one of the other parts of this article was the mom did follow the guy's instructions and she watched the other parents walking to the parking lot and the parents were, you know, saying things that were really intended to be loving and supportive and helpful, you know, like you played really well or tough. And like the the girls were snapping back at the parents, whereas she just didn't say anything. And then they got in the car and her own daughter did open up in her, her own time. And so I think for those superheated moments, which we all have um, as athletes and as sports parents, sometimes the best thing is just just to be there and be present and let them them set the tone and the pace. Mm, Yeah, like when they come home from school, you know, I'm in the habit of nothing. I don't ask, how was your day? (laughs) Put out the apples and the cheese and you wait. Exactly. Just wait. So that's, that's really a beautiful perspective and, and tool really, you know, when, when the game is over, just listen and just kind of be in silence. And it's also can be uncomfortable if things were intense or they lost the game, right? So it's this ability to be able to sit in the discomfort with your right. child in your own discomfort, right? And they're exactly and exactly. and magic can really come out of that. It sounds like. Yeah. And then, you know, often they'll initiate the conversation. And yeah, you know, then you can do another one of my favorite parenting practices, which isn't in this particular book, but is elsewhere, about like listen, breathe, respond. Cause like when they do start talking, right, then you want to give all the good advice that you've been holding your tongue for the last yeah. hour and a half for. And it's like, you know, what's needed in this moment? What, mm. what does my child need in this moment? Mm. And, you know, sometimes it's more silence. Sometimes it's a question. Sometimes it is reassurance. Um, it wasn't sports, but my daughter had a rough evening last night. And um, I said... Like, do you just, do you just want to vent or do you want, I mean, she knows that I'm a coachy kind of parent. It's an occupational hazard. So, (laughs) uh, or do you want, like, do you want, like, I have things that are there, but do you want them or do you just want to say what you want to say? So asking them what they need. I mean, what a great way to give them that 
that internal literacy that they need right. to be able to ask for what they need. So you're kind of coaching them towards that or you coach her towards that. Yeah. Really beautiful. All right. Well, we're running out of time. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll wrap up here, but I want to make sure um, to let people know that Amy does do some um, online courses. There's one starting in the fall that I'll make sure to put in the, um, you know, in the summary of the podcast so people can, can find it. You can also find it. We share your email address and how people can find you, your, your website address. I mean, right. Yeah. So I'm, uh, stillquietplace.com and uh, most relevant to this conversation. I don't think the fall course is up yet, but I will have a course for um, athletes, parents of athletes and coaches probably in the fall. And then I have other coaches more for professionals wanting to teach mindfulness to youth in the fall. Um, but yeah, stillquietplace.com is the easiest way to find me and all my other resources. Amy, thank you for not only for this podcast and for spending the time, but also just for all the work. You know, you've, you've really helped to pave the way for so many of us in this field and you know, you've been doing it for a long time. And I just really appreciate um, what you've given this space. So thank you. Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun. Fun to be with you. Um, meet this. Let's um, pause. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Bye, Amy. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World with Michelle Gale. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share our podcast with a friend and give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.